And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, full of grace and mercy and love, Father, what you've done for your creation to come, be able to come to know you. We thank you this evening, Father. I thank you for this place that I worship in. And most of all, I thank you for the body of Christ, for all the believers that are filled with the Spirit that carry on your work, Father. We ask for your continued protection and your care and your love that can sustain all your believers to continue in your work. As Jesus sits at the right hand of God in all power, may his vessels, us, the body of church, continue his work here on earth to draw all his to him through his word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to thank everybody for being here tonight and thank Lakeview for allowing us to continue our ministry here. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4, <clears throat> carrying over from Acts chapter 3. And the, the title is, uh, And There Is No Salvation in No One Else. And uh, I left off last week in chapter 3 on verse 26. And you know, I, I really, it's, it's really bothered me that I didn't expound on that. I believe that was, out of last week's message, that should have been the focal point where we should have finished up on. But that's okay, because we did a lot of groundwork last week, and this week we're just going to go further with this. But I'd like to start with this verse on verse 26 of chapter 3. It says, For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. And just previous to that, we have some Old Testament uh, lessons to learn. And I think oftentimes maybe we, we, we can get confused when we talk about the, the promise of Abraham, that uh, by his faith and his belief, his righteousness was imputed to him uh, through God. And God had made him a promise. He says, through his seed, there would be many nations, as many as the stars and the sand and the sea. And I believe that the Jewish people thought it was everybody that was born that chosen race as, as a Jewish person had this distinct honor to be God's elect, God's chosen people, and they lived with that belief in their hearts. And the reality of it is we find that it's seed, singular, one, the seed which through Abraham would come one day Jesus. Jesus would come... And he would manifest himself in the form of his creation. And this one seed would be the blessing to all nations and all men. Not you were born into a bloodline. Not that you were baptized when you were a baby. But through that seed of Jesus Christ, that that would be the blessing of all nations and to all men that come to him. See, Jesus had to come. He had to manifest himself in the form of his creation. Your God, your creator. You know, we know that he was in the beginning with God and he was God. He was with God in the beginning. He was the word. And everything that came, came through Jesus. And Jesus, 
He came into the form of this creation. That is just, just to think of that. See, God doesn't know time, force, action, space, or matter. He's outside of that. You know, there was a, there was a famous guy, uh, uh, Herbert Spencer. He was an atheist back in the Victorian age. He believed in the Darwin theory. And in his life's work, he came up with all these different... Uh, he was a philosopher and had all these things. And he came up to that all five realities are contained. All five of these categories are contained in the realities of life and science. Everything is identified through these five categories. Time, force, action, space, and matter. All five of them. And wow, you guess what? He's right. He could have saved a lot of time just with with God's gives us every man has instilled that we know that God, there is a God because his heavens and the earth declare his glory and the, the commandments of God laws written in our heart. And he could have spent a lifetime of work trying to defy God and read the first line in the Holy Scriptures in the book of Genesis. It says, in the beginning is time. God created his force, created his action. God is force, created his action. The heavens is the space, and the earth is matter. See, his whole life's work was summed up in the first line of this Holy Scriptures that's been given to us. Jesus manifested himself into his creation. He knows no time. He knows none of this stuff. He is force. He is action. He is matter. And he is the truth, the way, and the life. And no one will get to heaven but not through Jesus. And there is salvation in no other name. And see, that just brings me to another, another point that we're going we're gonna to get to that. But in chapter 3, we find Peter and John, and this was right after Pentecost, right in that time when souls were being saved, that the boldness of these two men. See, God, and I want you to think of this, God doesn't, doesn't always, God chooses the common Man, God can choose the uneducated man, the common man, to do, to do his task. See, Peter and John, they were just common men, uneducated, and they were going with such boldness. They were going to go to the temple, to where the Pharisees and the scribes had taken Jesus, this man Jesus, and crucified him. They're going to walk into that temple with boldness today. And Christian, I tell you today, I tell you right now, if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you must walk with boldness for God in His Scripture, in His Word. We're, we're in a time of our life that it's so needed. And by the way, the numbers are growing immensely, just like back then they are then. But here's Peter and John walking in. As they're walking into the temple, the, at the beautiful gate, there was this lame man. Forty years this man was lame. This man was lame. He could not walk. They carried him to the gate. They'd set him down. He begged for alms. He could never enter into the temple. And he begged. And I, I thought about. I, I thought about. Did they pick him up and carry him to the bathroom? Did he have a wheelchair? He spent his whole life there. The suffering that he, he must have endured. And one day, Peter and John, they're walking into the temple, boldly walking into the temple to proclaim the truth of Jesus. That is just what happened. The Messiah, the one that you turned over, the one that you rejected, 
the one that you crucified with boldness, standing up with conviction. Common men, uneducated. They wasn't able to put the, it almost feels like an uh, application that I could apply for. Uh, but God used these two men. And then they looked at that, that, that man that was laying from birth, and they said, silver and gold we do not have. He says, but what I have, you know, he gave him, he gave him the healing, the power. He reached down and grabbed that man's wrist, rose him up with a complete miracle hearing, healing. This was the miracle age. Now, in this healing, this man was completely healed. His muscle tone was, was completely there as if he was 40 years old and he had walked and he was as healthy as he could ever be. And he, he, not only did he stand and able to walk, but he jumped up. I think he, was, he says he jumped, he leaped. Do you think, I don't know, was he clicking his feet next to his, his ankles like uh, the leprechaun? I, I mean, he, he must have been ecstatic. And uh, I want you to think about this guy for a second. And I've thought a lot about him. His joy and his enthusiasm, was it because he had been lame his whole life from birth, be carried there, and now there's a healing? Yeah, I'd say he's probably pretty excited about that. I mean, I, I would be. But I think at that point in my life, at 40 years old and, and suffering that, I would have just accepted my lot in life. I think there was something deeper. See, all them years that this lame man was brought to the beautiful gate, he couldn't enter into the temple. You know? If you've not been able to enter that, it's just related to you. If you've been broken in your life, is there a brokenness in you where people have told you that you're broken, that you're no good, you'll never amount to nothing, the sin that you live? You may be, in, you may be alcoholic. You may be addicted to dicks, to drugs. You may be uh, addicted to gambling. You may be addicted to pornography. And you live in this sin and you're broken. And you, you, you have a shame in you. Now this guy, his lot in life was not because he had done anything or he'd done no sin. I mean, we, we actually know that. That, that it was asked, Jesus was asked in a previous case, was it this man sinned or his parents? And he said, neither. Neither were sinners. That was his lot in life. But the shame that these people feel, the shame that you feel, sinner, this guy felt unfairly. Unjustly, he felt the shame that he was not worthy. He was not good enough. He could never enter that temple. Because he, he was a blemished person. His, his soul, he was broken. He was blemished. He was defective. Okay? He could never walk in that temple to be with other men that were were holy and pure. They had it all. He could never walk with them. He was always below them. He was always a second-class person. And I think his enthusiasm and his excitement on that day when they lifted him up, he was healed. Because then we see when we get into chapter 4, He's standing next to Peter and John, and where is he standing in? He's standing in the temple. He's standing in the court of the Sanhedrins, the governing body of 40 men. He's standing right beside of them. His, his elation must have been 
just that he had been made whole, he had been right. And, and, I, and I believe to the bottom of my heart, not only did, did he have a healing, a physical healing, but his soul, and maybe his soul had a belief in God before that. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't speak to that. But that's just something that I, I, I thought about. And so what, what's going on in this whole time? Well, it's, it's, it's redundant now. We're, we're in the fourth chapter, and we keep reading what, what Peter's doing. What is Peter doing? He's, he's coming to them, and he's, he's conflicting them. He's preaching the gospel. He's teaching them God's word. He's calling them out. And many are being saved. We know back in chapter 2 where it talks about, on verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. This was to the leaders there. That he's calling them out. He's, he's putting a judgment on them that whom you crucified. Now these two words together here, it says both Lord and Christ are very important words. Because when it all comes down, brother, sinner, it all comes down to believing and accurately believing who this man Jesus is. There's, there's no salvation under no other name under heaven than this man Jesus, but who he is. He, this gives us a, a, a clear indication. Lord, Kyrios, King, Master, God, Kyrios. And with the Kyrios, there's the doulos, there's a slave. There, there, without, the, without a king, without the slave, there's no king. Vice versa, it doesn't work that way. He's Lord. He's Lord in my life. He wants you to be Lord in your life. And then there's the Christ. The Messiah, the Savior to come. Now, oftentimes, when we're young, we're, we're, the, the gospel's handed to it. It's shared with us, and we're told, they, they say to you, they say, there is salvation in no other name in, in heaven and under earth than, than Jesus Christ. If you don't believe, you're going to go to hell. If you believe, you go to heaven. Do you believe, Johnny? I believe. I mean, you, you told me how terrible heaven, how terrible hell was. You told me how glorious heaven was. I, believe, I take that choice. I'm going to heaven. See, but it, it wasn't up to me. And what, and what I had was I had what I call a no-lordship theology. I chose that, but I choose then to live my life in a very selfish and self-centered way uh, for myself. And it wasn't later until life, with my brokenness, of my shame, feeling like a justifiable uh, conflict in my soul uh, from my sins, where the, the lame man had none of that. It was unjustifiable that he would feel that way, but he was made to feel that way. Uh, but that shame and that guilt was being a second-class citizen, being looked down upon. Even as a Christian today, I may be referred to one of them people. You know, such were some, some of you. That's me. That's me. You're looking at it. Such were some of you. That's me. Uh, but see, there, there came that point in my life that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that we're, we're going to read about in here too, drawed me to my Savior. Made me take a hard look at it. And He became my Lord. Not just my Savior. He has to become your Lord in your life. 
That, that is not just reading in this book what you decide is going to make you feel good. And then the other stuff where you love your sin, you just reject it. You know, oftentimes I hear people say, I'm not good enough. You, 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 John, you don't know what I've done. I'm not good enough. And you, you, know, what, you know what I hear when you say that? I, I hear you say, John, I love my sin more than I love God's word. Okay? I love my sin more. I'm not ready to stop sinning. I enjoy my fornicating, my lying, my cheating, my stealing. I enjoy all that. So I'm just too bad. God won't accept me. Well, I'm calling you out right now. I'm telling you, Jesus will accept anybody who calls out in the name of the Lord. And, and, you, don't, and you don't have to get right before you get right with God. You can't get right. Matter of fact, you can't no matter what you do. You can try to do all that you to restrain yourself from your sin and try to live the good life and change your activity, change where you live. You can do all that, but none of that's going to work. None of it matters. Until you understand your depravity and your sin nature in you and you cry out to the Lord and He fills you with that Spirit, then there'll be a new person. The old person will have passed away. The new will be gone. So you, you don't even need to, to, you don't even have, it's nothing you do. It's nothing you even do after your salvation. I'm filled with the Spirit, with the boldness of the Lord in my heart today, proclaiming His truth, looking at the Scripture, reading it, uh, just, just bringing it into us. It, it, there's no better life than when you turn yourself over to the Lord. You cry out to the name of the Lord. You, you won't have to feel the, like that lame bird. You won't have to feel like a second-class citizen. Believe me, we're all going. There's no, there's no first or no last. We're all going to be marching up into heaven all abreast, all together, hand in hand. The smartest man with the smartest IQ, the one that had the most money, the poorest man with the lowest IQ. We're all going to walk in there equal to heaven. We've been adopted into this family. There's a promise through the seed. One seed, through Abraham's bloodline, there would be a man named Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior that would come, be born, live a sunless life, sinless life. And over and over again, we hear again Peter saying to them, it was this Jesus whom you crucified. And in chapter 3, we find after they, they heal the man, they heal this man, and they go in and they preach with boldness. They're preaching with boldness, and Peter says it again to them. He says to them, he says, the God of Abraham, what, what are you looking at? It's not John or, or, or Peter, me or John, that, that healed this man. It's the man Jesus through his power, he's been healed. That's how we healed this man. Why, what are you so amazed for? It was the man that you turned over. It was the man that you denied before Pontius Pilate. You chose a murderer over your Savior, Jesus Christ, and you had him crucified. It was that man, that power, that heals this man today. And it's that power that can heal you today. 
And here he says there in chapter 3 and verse 13, he tells them that it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted. How often have you li- in your life have you denied the holy and righteous one? How often in, you, in your life have you chosen your sin over God? How often have you done that? How often have you made an excuse and says, I'm just not good enough to go to heaven. You don't understand what I've done. Because <laughs> you love your sin more. That's why. Not, not, not because you, you don't think God can't save you. Because the God, the creator who manifested himself in the form of his creation to go through time, force, energy, matter, to come into this world, to be a lamb, to live a sinless life, died for you. He did all that. And you're telling me what you did is too bad and you can't be saved? I ain't buying it. But here's, here's Peter and John. He's, Peter, he's, he's laying it right out to him. But... But put to death the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. Very important, because we have a resurrected God who sits at the right hand of God. He is alive. He's not still hanging on the cross. We're not, we're not uh, sacrificing him every day. He's up there. He's in charge. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which is through him has been given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. He's leaping, clicking his heels. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. And remember, I went over this last week. He's throwing the rope out to you. God's throwing the rope out to you right now if you hear it. He's throwing in your ignorance. You can claim your ignorance right now. In your ignorance, you're telling me that you've done these things and believe this way. But today I'm telling you that it ain't going to fly. I'm sending out a lifeline. I'm saying call on the name of the Lord. Believe who this man Jesus is. And that's what Peter's doing here to them. In your ignorance, just as your rulers did also. He's, he's, even, he's even drawing them. Even the ones who turned Jesus over. And you think you've done something so bad. What about the ones that turned Jesus over? What about the ones that chose Barabbas over the Messiah, the Christ? Do you don't think that's bad? And here he is. He's, he's calling out to them right now. Peter's sending this offering, this love offering. Our God is long-suffering. He does not want to lose any of his. He's long-suffering. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. And here, here again, because we know back in chapter 2, they ask, what, what should we do? Before I read chapter 3, they ask, after he says, you've crucified him. And then back in chapter 2, it says, now, in the first, first 3,000 that were saved, it says, now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. I hope you're pierced to your heart today. I, I hope, I pray that God will give you a heart to know, eyes to see and ears to hear and hear me today. I hope these words have pierced you to your heart with your sin that's pierced you to your heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles and the men's and brothers, 
They say, what should we do? Are you asking that question right now? What should you do? Well, here, Peter tells you what you should do. It's very simple. And Peter said to them, repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. What does he say over here in the next sermon in chapter 3? He says, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away, blotted away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Earlier today at Lakeview Baptist, they were baptism. They were doing baptisms here, and an immersion. There was a repentance, and there was a baptism, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the Great Commission. It's the commandment that we go there for all the world. Proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Things have not changed in 2,000 years. The conversion is the same thing, the same way. We must recognize our depravity. We must repent. And then you show that, your repentance, by baptism. That's how you show it. It's an outward profession of your faith. The work has already been done in one's heart before the baptism. It's an outward profession of your faith. It's stating the old things have passed away. The new has begun. And here we see Peter here. And they said, therefore, repent and return. Wiped away. Now, there was 5,000 saved that day. They walked in there with this lame man. There was 5,000 souls marched into the kingdom of heaven that day. Their souls. They were adopted into the family of saints. And he says that your sins are wiped away. And if you feel so bad about how you live your life and you're such a bad person and God won't accept you, see what happens here? What God does? He forgives you and he wipes them away. He blots them out. You, God, will he forgets your sins. As far as the east to the west, which is endless. As if you had never done them. Because of Jesus. That's why. When he looks at you, he sees his son Jesus. He was the propitiation. He traded places with you. He had to come in the form of his creation to live this sinless life, to pay this debt that I owed, that you owed, that we all owe. And there's no salvation and no other name in heaven on earth than Jesus Christ. And we have to get it right. You know, I... and and. So your sins are blotted away. They're forgotten. The sins I committed yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Does that give me uh, okay to sin? Absolutely not. Because I still sin. And, but I have an advocate with the Father. I don't have to pray to the priest or Mary. I pray to Jesus himself sitting at the right hand of God. He's my advocate with the Father. Because why? Because he died for me. He died for you. It says, he tells me, do not sin. He's telling you, do not sin. But if you do sin, admit your sin. Confess your sin. I've sinned. God, help me. Jesus. And he says, surely he forgives. That's how loving your God is. And when I'm saying, back up, when I'm saying we got to get it right, my, I, I can't wait for my brother Logan when he gets in, into to Matthew. In, in the, uh, he's in Matthew already, not when he gets there. But he's going to get to a point where it talks about this, 
the, the, the narrow road that leads to Christ. And then there's the broad road that leads to destruction. Now, many are on this broad road that leads to destruction, but few are on the narrow road. And even when you get on the narrow road, even fewer make it to the gate. See, when the statement said, when they knock on the door, when you're naked and alone, which every man will be, standing before your Creator, and you say, Lord, Lord, this is talking about the Christian faith. See, there's no, there are going to be no Muslims or Buddhists or uh, atheists or Herbert Spencer or Darwin. They're not going to be saying, Lord, Lord. This is going to be people that profess to be Christians, that proclaim to be in the body of Christ. And Jesus is going to say to them, he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. And they're going to say, I did this and I did that. But you notice how they're saying, I did it, I did this, I did that. What did Peter and John say? It's by the power of Jesus this man has been hailed. Not nothing we did. We are just common uh, common, uneducated men. That's who we are. And uh, that's going to be a scary place. And I don't want to see you there. So that's why we, we have to get an accurate reading of God's Word. God has instilled in every man's heart, He instilled the knowing that God exists. There is no atheist. Every man knows by, the, by looking at the heavens and the earth and everything that God has made, declares His glory. There had to be a creator. He has written the Ten Commandments on every man's heart to know, you know it's not right to murder. You know it's not right to steal. He, he's given that in every human being. And then he's given us the written word of God for us. And that written word of God is so important to every believer. Now, you're saved. You've, 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 tongue, you've taken these this these beginning steps right here, when you've asked, when you felt convicted and you asked, what should we do? And they say, repent and be baptized. There should now at this time, if there's a true regeneration, there should begin a hungering and thirsting for God's word. Now, you're going to find that with other believers. And so I just encourage you to get with other believers. Come to, come to a Bible study. Get in God's Word. Get connected to a church. You think maybe I, that was my introduction. You think we should get into chapter 4 here? Uh. <laughs> now, we know that what, what has taken place is this miracle in chapter 3, and it, and it overlapped into chapter 4. And 5,000, we'll see that 5,000 had been saved that day. In verse 19, when he told them to repent, that 5,000 souls come marching into the kingdom of the Lord. And now we're, we're transitioning to chapter 4, and it says, Now, the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, let's just talk about the Pharisees and the scribes for a minute. Uh, the Pharisees were the, rather the common man's priest or pastor. Uh, the Sadducees, they were in charge of the temple. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in a resurrection. The, the Pharisees did. There was an ongoing battle, and they took care of the temple. And then what you had is you had the Sanhedrins. Okay? Now, the Sanhedrins was the governing body of the temple, and there was 40 of them that sat on this governing body. 
You had your temple guards and you had the captains and the temple guard and the Sadducees. And, and so now they're all, st- oh, this is just stirring up a hornet's nest. You got John and Peter with their boldness and their proclaiming. I mean, this is just making the hair stand up on the back of their neck. I mean, they had just crucified this man, Jesus. We thought we got rid of that problem. And here these two come in here out of nowhere speaking the truth of God. And, and that just, just brings me to another point of you, brother. If the, you are spirit-filled, if you're elected into the Congress or the Senate or you're a police officer or you're a garbage man, you are not to allow your values to get compromised. You are to stand up in boldness for the Lord and speak what is truthful. We need to do that as Christians for your family, for your kids, your grandkids. So, now as they were speaking to the people, John and Peter, the priest and the captains of the temple guard and Sadducees came up to them, being greatly agitated because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. This must have been an all-day event when the lame man was brought up, healed, and the preaching them all day long. I mean, we come to church for an hour, and we just can't wait to get out of there. I mean, this is all day long. And going into the hornet's nest, these two guys went, these apostles, these common men, uneducated common men. But many of those who had heard the message believed. See, that's back there. They believed. And the numbers of the men came to be about 5,000. Now it happened that on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Ananias, the high priest, was there with Cephas and John and, I didn't pronounce Cephas right, John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent. And I think the high priest even may have been like his son-in-law to the last one, it was they're like the bushes or something nowadays. It's, I think they really had control over the whole temple and the whole system on how it weren't work, and they were part of the Sanhedrins. And they're all stirred up now. They got they brought Peter and John. They kept them captive overnight. They, they I like the part where down they release them back into the crowd. See, and when they they had placed them in their midst, they began to inquire. By what power or in what name have you done this? The healing that they, they just healed the lame man. And it, it, it almost reminds me when the, the, the priest and stuff sent, and John the Baptist, they sent to them, and they, they, says, they says to him, who are you? They're inquiring. You know, the priests and Sadducees wanted to know who this man, John the Baptist, who are you? And, and John the Baptist says, I, I'm not the Christ. And then they kept asking uh, who they were. They, 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 they keep asking, who are you? They want to know, by what power did you do this? It just was a flashback to them. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being examined today for the good deed that done to a sick man, as to how this man has been saved from his sickness, let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. The joy that he must have had of being a whole person. God can make you whole 
brother. He can make you hold. You can be clicking your heels today. He is the stone which was rejected by Old Testament. We're getting into the Old Testament that Peter's quoting back. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And anybody in construction and building know that the cornerstone is the most important stone. And it's a metaphor. And it's Jesus is our cornerstone. And then he goes on to say, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You hear that last part of that? In which we must be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man will ever come to the Father without going through the Son. There is no name in heaven and earth, and it has to be an accurate description who Jesus is. He's just not your Savior. He's your Lord. We are to serve our Lord. Just because He allows us and He doesn't treat us like a slave, He allows us into the family business. He lets us know what's going on in the family business. He does not treat us that way. But we are to have the attitude that he is Lord. I'm his slave. The, old, the New Testament writers in the epistle, they say, I, Paul, a slave for Jesus Christ. They all refer to themselves as slaves for Christ. May you also, too. An accurate understanding who this man Jesus is. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and that's the confidence I'm talking to you about today too brother it's it, it's going to take that confidence if this this country will turn around it's going to be take the confidence of Peter and John filled with the Holy Spirit to stand up and not compromise our values but that's okay if you're too weak and your men are too weak and you, 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 you want to compromise, that's okay. The kingdom is not going to be lost. God, Jesus sits at the right hand of God. It's going on. He's winning this battle. He's going to win the battle. And I bet you the Chinese will be the next great nation maybe claiming Jesus as their Savior. They'll overthrow that government. Jesus is king. He's the ruler. Be bold. Don't be weak men. And it's just common men. You don't have to be nothing special. Uneducated, common men. Uneducated. Peter and John. And comprehend that they were uneducated and ordinary men. They were marveling. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the, the, the whole sin eaters were marveling and began to recognize them as having been seen with Jesus. When people look at you, do they see Jesus? Do they see a new person? Do they see a regenerated soul? Are you trying to fit into society? Are you still trying to hold on to your old sins and, and look like you want to fit in? Brother, if you, if, you're not, if you don't look separate, if you look a part of this world, you are of this world. You must look separate. You must talk different. You must walk different. And you must love different. That's what's going to distinguish you. And that's what, but that's what I pray for. That they can see the leaders. And there's something about, even in Romans, when these rulers have been ordained to be over us, that if we do good, we should not fear. Brother, just, you don't have to compromise. But when you, when you do good acts, kind acts, loving, you still speak the truth. You don't compromise on your values. You shouldn't fear. I, I don't fear. 
I have the spirit. God's given me the spirit where I don't, I don't have to fear. But, and I, 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 don't, I will not compromise without the Holy Spirit. And seeing the men who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, that's the governing counseling body, they began to confer with one another, saying, What should we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy sign had happened through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. You have 5,000 people. Their souls were converted the previous day standing next to this lame man that's been saved. And you have Peter and John. And their whole world is coming to an end. What are we to do? Well, they, they don't think they have much of a choice at this point. What can we do? We can't deny it, but lest it spread any further. But we got to, man, we just need to stop this. Isn't that something how the ones that were given, chosen by God to share it with the world, want to now just confine it, bottle it up? And, and how, how, how often do we see that men in power take the Christian religion hostage and preach a false gospel to bewitch people? There again, that's why it's so important to be in the God's Word, reading God's Word on our own, praying for God, for wisdom of God's Word, not just relying on what I'm saying here today or someone else's is saying. We, we, we need to be in God's Word, reading it, discussing it, challenging your brother in a loving way. But least it's spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. That's the name of Jesus. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, and this is very important for us too, beloved. Hear what they say. We, we are to conform to our rulers because they're ordained by God to be put in place. But here's a time when it clearly, it clearly makes a statement that we follow God. We do not compromise our values. Give Caesar his nickel. Give the tax man his tax. But don't compromise your values. And he goes on to tell them, Peter goes on and says, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to hear you rather than God, you be the judge. In other words, You decide. You be the judge. I'm going to follow God. I'm not going to follow you. I follow God. Do you follow God? Are you following God? Are you compromising your values? Do you go to the church to get your votes, to get elected? And then you, you, you go to the strip joint afterwards to get more votes there? So you, you're compromising? You know, I, I don't know, you know. You think you're not good enough? You, you're going around telling people you're just not good enough? For we cannot stop speaking about, here, here you go, God to hear rather than God. You be the judge. And I hope this is with each and every believer. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. See, I, I can't stop speaking about the miracle that had taken place in me. The change, how God had changed me. 
how I, how I felt less than as a common man, uneducated, and how this, the Holy Spirit came in me, and it changed my life. And through my every trial and tribulation of my life, every struggle, every temptation that I overcome, not of my own power, not of my own will, but through the Holy Spirit, the promise that Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit, that that Holy Spirit has been in me. And because of that reason, I cannot stop talking about this man they call Jesus. Because there is no other name in heaven and earth which must you must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. And it's an accurate definition of who Jesus Christ is. The Jesus of the Holy Bible. Authoritative, accurate, and true. It's been placed in your hands for you to believe. Don't don't rely on the most important thing in your life to have somebody else up here preaching and teaching you. You must read the Word, and you must be with other believers. And if you have questions, concerns, challenge that believer. Make them show you in Scripture. We have to back up Scripture by Scripture. And on that note, if you disagree on anything, Logan would love to debate you. We could set up a debate whenever you want So, on any of them issues. So. <laughs> and in verse 22, For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this healing sign occurred. 40 years of being a lame man was healed that day. Peter and John didn't have silver and gold to give them. Gave them a healing the Holy Spirit, and God wants to heal you too. He just needs you to cry out to Him. He needs you to recognize of your, your sin. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, so great, merciful, loving, to come into the form of your creation, Father, to, to save your own, to allow every man to have the opportunity to call on the name of the Lord. I just, just plead with you today, if you're that man, Cry out to the Lord. Ask Him. Ask Him. Ask for forgiveness. Ask Him for help. You can, you can even say, I, I, I'm incapable of stopping. I can't stop my sin. I just know that I'm a sinner. I, I, just can't, I just can't live this way no more. I'm crying out to the Lord. I need you to come in to my heart. I need you to change me. I need, the, I need the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to come into my heart and change me. I can't do it by myself. I need you. And I, I believe if you cry out to the Lord, He will fulfill His promise. And I just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd like to close with our benediction.